The following is a message given by Sheldon Campbell, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church. So, I must say, I'm, as usual, I'm quite delighted to have gotten this opportunity to share God's words. And I just want you guys to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 15, or as some persons would say, find it on your devices. So we're continuing in our series called Follow the Son, A Journey through the Gospel of Mark. And the title of my sermon this morning is King Jesus' Sacrifice for Sinners. So let's read God's words, paying attention to Jesus' love displayed through what he has endured to atone for sin and satisfy God's righteous judgment. So Mark 15, I'll be reading from verse 1 all the way through to 20. All right? So it begins, As soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things, and Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder, in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus. He delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down 
in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. You know, in our society today, it wouldn't be uncommon for the majority of Jamaicans to feel comfortable to share their physical suffering with others, mostly friends and family, with the hope of receiving some prayer and assistance. However, however when it comes to psychological or mental suffering, they would be less likely to share. Sadly, we tend to downplay psychological or mental suffering and think this is for persons who are weak, so they should just snap out of whatever is bugging them. At Grace Family Church, we're learning to care for each other and to take care for people's mental health seriously. I was so happy. Um, Earlier when I heard um, Joel just mention, you know, if there's anyone among you who would like biblical counseling, and he said he will avail himself for three hours. And this is the kind of thing that I, I really believe the Lord is really um, speaking to us about as a community to care. You know, thankfully in the past two years, mental health has really become a front burner Issue. It's not as if mental health didn't matter before. <laughs> However, the COVID-19 pandemic has triggered a mental health crisis that experts say the, the world may have to battle for years to come. You know, as people across the globe uh, lost their loved ones, their jobs, their health to COVID-19, various reports showed a steady increase or rise in anxiety and depression and substance use disorders. The reality is when people suffer psychologically, it can have a serious impact upon their bodies. It can cause people to experience alienation, anxiety, depression, anger, fear, sadness and feelings of helplessness. It can reduce their quality of, time, of life and negatively impact relationships with friends and family. It can even sometimes lead to people committing suicide. Well, in our passage today, we will come to see the emphasis that Mark placed on Christ's suffering was more towards psychological suffering than physical suffering. That is, as he goes through his trials leading up to his crucifixion, the physical suffering that he was experiencing was very intense. It was horrific. But that wasn't what Mark was mainly focusing on. Yet, 
Christ endured all the suffering he did so that we could be saved. In fact, the main idea or the big picture of this text is that King Jesus suffered as a substitute and sacrifice for our sin in order to save us. You know, this is not a light matter. As our salvation came at a very high price. This was in spite of the many wrong choices we and our ancestors have and continually make that Christ subjected himself to be put on a trial and suffer for our sake. So we do not take his sacrifice for granted. As a matter of fact, while our actions don't always show it as believers, we know that no other person in all of history was qualified to suffer and sacrifice their lives for us. This was because only Christ, I want to just pause there, only Christ is the God-man, and therefore we ought to be grateful that King Jesus, our God, King Jesus, King Jesus, suffered as a substitute and sacrifice for our sin in order to save us. I want that just kick in this morning. You know, for this text, I believe Mark has three points that he wants us to recognize about our Lord. And they are one, King Jesus' silence in verses 1 through to 5. Two, King Jesus' substitution in verses 6 through to 14. And King Jesus' suffering in verses 15 through to 20. So let's begin with our main point, the first one, King Jesus' silence. So our text begins in verse 1 by saying, And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. Therefore, somewhere between 5 a.m. and 6 a.m., I want you guys to hear this. The, the chief priests, along with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, met. And after much discussion, figured out that they needed Pilate to execute Jesus for them. As such, they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. However, before I explain this second part of verse 1, I want to note that Jesus would have been up throughout the night with no rest, no sleep. Remember, he was betrayed by Judas somewhere around 1 p.m. He was abandoned by the disciples. He was put on trial by the Jewish authorities, the Sahedrin. And after interrogation, they condemned him as deserving death. 
And the persons there and the guards started to beat and spit on him. This was likely around 3 p.m., around the same time where Peter would have denied him three times. So think on these things as you now hear as they bind Jesus in chains like a criminal and led him and delivered him over to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea at the time. And we know from history um, he would have been governor from around AD 26 to 36 thereabouts, serving under the emperor Tiberius. Since Judea was a Roman province, Pilate as the governor would exercise the full gamut of the military and its power. His job description would include military, financial, and judicial duties. So here we see the Jewish authorities that had their religious trial handing over Jesus to a Gentile. If that though <laughs> signals something wrong, boy, I don't know. To a Gentile for a political trial. So last week, Sean would have um, demonstrated to us this as, as Sean put it, this kangaroo court where they had this kind of religious trial. And this morning we will see this kind of political trial. All right? All right. So, uh, a question comes to mind as I, as, I, as I hear Mark 15, verse 1, this handing over. Grace Family Church, doesn't that sound familiar? Didn't Jesus prophesy to his disciples in Mark 10, 33, that behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be, what? Delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Exactly what we see in Mark 15, verse 1. William Lane notes the detail that Jesus was delivered to Pilate's forum early in the morning is a significant index of the historical accuracy of the tradition. It was necessary for the Sahedrin to bring its business to Pilate as soon after dawn as possible because the working day of a Roman official began at the earliest hour of daylight. Legal trials in the Roman Forum were customarily held shortly after sunrise. And the, and, and the reality is, um, it's not in my script, but I can tell you. The reason being is, Romans love to enjoy themselves. So what they would do is, they would have these trials early in the morning, start somewhere between 5 and 6. So maybe about 11, noon they're about, they went and did their leisurely activities. <laughs> so... That's added. But, you know, one of the things I want to ask you guys is, have you ever thought of the reason why the Jews brought Christ to Pilate? Well, I believe first, well, he was there. He was available. Um, it was the high feast in Jerusalem, and thus, in case there was any kind of unrest 
at least Pilate would be there as a governor to ensure that that would not take place. Also, the laws did not allow the Jews to execute anyone. You, um, we can see that in John chapter 18, verse 31. As such, a capital charge and punishment was the outcome which they wanted. And how do you think the Jews are going to get that? Go to Pilate, because he's the Roman governor. Moreover, Pilate had the authority to conduct a trial on an informal basis if he desired to. So the Jewish authorities, who never necessarily want to be handling this, I want you guys to remember, this is Friday morning. This is the Passover day, right? All of this is taking place on the Passover day. So what do you do? Hand it over to the Gentile. Hand it over to the Roman governor. Let him deal with it. Let we know can do our, our little religious thing. It's so crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy. Anyway, but that is the strategy um, by which they wanted to go about to execute Jesus. Anyway, in their previous plots to kill Jesus, we have seen how low the Jewish authorities were willing to go and know they who didn't even like one bone in the Romans, including Pilate, are bringing this to Pilate now, saying, Pilate, this is the charge we want. You know, it really shows to me that them your people here really did not like Jesus. <laughs> Trust me. Them never really liked Jesus at all. Anyway, let's move on in verse 2. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, you have said so. Therefore, Pilate was told by the Jewish Sanhedrin that Jesus claimed to be the king of the Jews. Because where would Pilate get that from? Hence, this would challenge Caesar's rule in the Romans' perspective, which would be deserving of capital punishment. Makes sense, right? Because naturally, Caesar would say, yo, I'm here the king of the Jews. I saw him think, as, you know. Do you recognize there's nothing that, in what you just read, that mentioned anything about blasphemy, which was the actual religious charge that Sean preached about last week? And that, was, and that was the supposed reason for condemning Jesus to, to, to have this death penalty from, from last week's message. But it was because Pilate no business about them something there. Blasphemy. <laughs> you know, but he would certainly be uh, concerned about someone who's claiming to be the king of the Jews. So, so I want you guys to think about this. So, in the consultation that they had, that was what they devised. Go, this is the route we're going to go down. This king of Jews business. Him claimed to be the king of the Jews, so we're going to just don him. Because him claimed to be the king of the Jews. So you guys think about that. But not, notwithstanding, do you see the, the wisdom? As usual in Jesus' response to Pilate's question, you have said so. You Pilate 
have said, I didn't, you have said so. Do you realize Jesus, he didn't deny that he was the king of the Jews, but he also did not affirm it. Brilliant. I think it would certainly lead Pilate to start thinking, hold on, could he truly be the king of the Jews? Anyway, in verses 3 to 5, the chief priests accused Jesus of many things, and Pilate asked him, have you no answer to make? See the many charges they bring against you, but Jesus made no further answer, and it says that Pilate was amazed. As we think on Pilate's amazement, it's likely that he was accustomed to Remember, he's the governor, so he, all the time, you know, he's trying people. And he would have been accustomed to hearing people giving a defense or justifying their actions. However, Jesus was silent. In last week's message, we were reminded of, of Jesus fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet... He opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The reality is that Jesus had prepared his whole life to be humanity's savior. And if it meant remaining silent amid Injustice, then bring it on. I wonder how one of them start break out in, in, in praise when he hears something like that, you know. But all right, maybe it's just me. You know, Justin Martyr, one of the early church fathers, noted it is not a silence of defeat, but a silence of surrender to God's sovereignty in the passion. Wow. You know, having discussed King Jesus' silence, let's go on to the second point, King Jesus' substitution. You know, before jumping into the, to this section, though, um, it would be good to note the following three omissions in Mark's account, which were deliberate. Because I know some of you, when you read this text, you may say, ah, oh, I didn't hear this. I didn't hear this. But Mark was deliberate in these omissions. So Mark has chosen to tell the story in this particular way to focus on particular things. So what do we see here then? Well, first, it does not mention that Pilate sent Jesus to Herod and, um, and Herod pretty much sent him back to Pilate and said, listen, I don't find any fault with him. Right? Um, secondly, and, and a matter of fact, if you think about that, then this would be a, a three-part trial because you would have Pilate first, then Herod, and then back to Pilate, right? So it would be a three-part political trial, right? All right, second, it does not mention that Pilate's wife said, listen, don't have nothing to do with this innocent man because I had a dream. You remember that? Um, and that's in uh, Matthew 27, um, verse 19. And third, um, we don't see this theological, if you want to call it, discourse 
with, um, between Pilate and Jesus, which you see in um, John 18, right? 33 to 38, they're both. So I want you guys to just note that as I move into this section. All right, so in verses 6 through to 14, we're going to see a different scene. Um, there is no a crowd that is gathered. And, and Mark notes that Pilate would grant amnesty each year to one criminal that was sentenced. Um, however, this release was based on the people's choice. This act was to promote um, cooperation and show the leniency of Rome to the Jews. So at the time, there was a prisoner named Barabbas. He and some others had been ar arrested for murder during a riot that had taken place. The, so the crowd now came and asked Pilate to set a prisoner free and just as he usually did. So Pilate asked, would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews? For he realized by now that the Jewish authorities had arrested Jesus out of bad mind. Envy, jealousy. Bad mind, they are killed him. So, but the chief priests told the crowd to ask Pilate to free Barabbas. Pilate asked him, then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? I hear the people them, crucify him. Them shouted all the more, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he done? And at this point, the, the mob roars louder, crucify him. You know, from this interaction, we can see that Pilate believed the crowd would have actually chosen Jesus. Therefore, you know, he would have been um, put off from sentencing an innocent person because Pilate actually believed that the charges that were laid on Jesus were bogus. Um, however, here we're seeing that Jesus got what Barabbas deserved, crucifixion, while Barabbas got what Jesus deserved, freedom. You know, James Edwards is very helpful here in this long quote, which I'll read to you. It's, and I want you guys to hear this because uh, this, is, this is phenomenal, actually. Um, the criminal's name, Barabbas, in Hebrew means son of the Abba. Father. Matthew 27, 16 adds that his given name was Jesus. So basically you would say Jesus Barabbas. You know, Sheldon Campbell, Jesus Barabbas. So my first name is Jesus, pretty much, right? Um, which heightens the drama of Pilate's question. Which Jesus do you want? Do you want Jesus Christ or you want Jesus Barabbas? Pretty much that's what it's saying. Do you want the son of Abba? or the would-be Messiah. Mark's wording may actually corroborate Matthew's for Mark's curious introduction of the prisoner. 
Yeah, isn't it strange? It, it, it start, when, when we read it a while ago, it says, a man called Barabbas. Why would, they, why would Mark have paid so much attention to this person's name? But it seems to differentiate this Barabbas from the true son of the father. Jesus. There is a tragic irony in Pilate's amnesty for a convicted murderer is set free. And in his place, the innocent son of a father is condemned to death. It's not difficult to see in this prisoner exchange a reflection of the substitutionary understanding of atonement. While we were still sinners, Christ died. For us, the very popular Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Christ died for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. First Peter 3, verse 18. You know, as I think of this situation, you know, we, we, see, we see the, the people in their limited knowledge choosing Barabbas, a decorated sinner, to live over Jesus who was the God-man and sinless. However, Jesus, in his unlimited knowledge, chose us despite our numerous sins for eternal life. Mm. That's so humbling to believe. Jesus had our salvation on his mind when he was experiencing this suffering. I don't see any more motivation for us to be grateful and want to live for him. Grace Family Church regarding Jesus' substitutionary work, one of the implications of being clothed with Jesus' own righteousness is that when we fail, and I'm sure we all have as living beings. Many times this past week, when God looks upon us, he does in the light of Christ's perfect work for us and not our failings as we sought to live for him this past week and as we continue. Isn't that encouraging? Moreover, we need to learn. We need to learn from Pilate's fatal mistake to not make decisions which please the crowd. We're, you know, that, that's a temptation we have to be people-pleasing. We need to base our decision on what pleases the Lord. We should be consistent in our actions. If we personally believe something is wrong, say abortion, then we're supposed to have that stance in public too. We shouldn't cave into the fear of man or people pleasing. We fear and reverence God. As Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man brings a sneer, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Finally, you know, any one of us can feel jealous or envy of someone 
or something he or she, um, you know, based off of something he or she wants, you know, what we don't have pretty much, right? Here we see the, the Pharisees were jealous of Jesus because he was loved and appreciated by the people. And as I said to you earlier, you know, and, and because of that, they handed over um, Jesus to Pilate out of bad mind, out of envy. But anyone who is dissatisfied and discontent is a prime candidate for jealousy and envy. Ouch. Ask yourself, am I generally content with how things are in my life? If not, this might be an indicator that you need the Lord to help you in this area. Also, learning to be increasingly grateful for what God has done in your life and for what he's doing in the lives of others. Um, maybe two ways of um, not being envious. Um, this gratefulness can increase every time we think about the substitutionary work of Christ on our behalf. You know, since we just saw King Jesus' substitution, let's go on to our third and last point, which is King Jesus' suffering, which we see in verses 15 through to 20. So, all right, so Pilate wanted to please the crowd, so he set Barabbas free. Now, can you imagine just how happy Barabbas must have felt to, to see the guards coming and, and just releasing him. Also, for him to know, it's supposed to be like, hold on, what's, what's going on here? To know that because of Jesus Christ, that he was freed. He must have inquired and said, but tell me something about that Jesus. He might have heard that, yeah, Jesus was good and he was righteous and in his mind i'm sure barabbas must have thought some kind of substitution seemed to have taken place here anyway let's move on Pilate then ordered this his soldiers to scourge that is to beat jesus with a whip and afterwards to crucify him you know regarding scourging um josephus the historian indicates that the prisoner was stripped. And when you hear strip, you know what I mean. When somebody says strip, right? Strip naked, right? You know strip. <laughs> and bound to a post and beaten with a leather whip woven with bits of bone or metal. That, that, that sound like that makes sense? That, that is madness. No maximum number of strokes were prescribed. The scourging lacerated and stripped the flesh, often exposing the bones and the entrails. Just think about that. You could see persons' literal organs as the, the whip is just and the flesh is coming off and the bones. It's crazy. One of its purposes was to shorten the duration of crucifixion. But scourging was so 
brutal that some prisoners died before even going up for crucifixion. It, 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 was, it was so horrific that women were not, um, if you want to call it permitted, I guess, to be scourged or even to witness it. I mean, one of the most evil kings in, 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 in um, why am I going off script again? Anyway, one of the most evil kings in Israel's history, Domitian, he didn't even want to have anything to do with it because of just how horrific it was. Anyway, the soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters called the Praetorium and called out the entire regiment. That's all I know if people don't. And anyone who has watched army movies knows what is coming up. Normally when you see them call out a regiment, you just know what will come up next. What will reach him? He just knows some box and kick and some mocking going to take place, right? Which, which we know had taken place earlier. Um, so he's going to be mocked and abused again. So they dress Jesus in a purple robe. And you know, when you think of purple, you're thinking of royalty kind of thing. Um, and they wove um, branches in a, in a crown and put it on his head. And they saluted him and healed him. King of the Jews. Now the NET notes suggest that the crown may have been made from palm spines or some other thorny plant common in Israel. In placing the crown of thorns on his head, the soldiers were unwittingly symbolizing God's curse on humanity. Genesis 3.18 being placed on Jesus. Their purpose would have been to mock Jesus' claim to be a king. The crown of thorns would have represented the radiant corona portrayed on the heads of rulers and coins and other artifacts in the first century. The crown of thorns were undoubtedly the, their attempt to mimic the golden wreath worn by Caesar. And their cry, Hail, was a mimic of the cry, Hail, Caesar. And they struck him on the head with a reed stick and spit on him and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and they basically um, gave Jesus to um, pretty much put on the garments or the clothes that he had on before. You know, Joel Bean, last night as I was talking with him, he, he says, has anyone in history been mocked like this with the praise that they entirely deserved on the lips of the creatures he had made who thought themselves more powerful than he, who looked down on him in that moment to abuse him. Yet as Psalm 2 verses 10 to 12 shows, Jesus restrained himself and took the blows he did not deserve so that we could 
so that, sorry, so that he could give his life to become a refuge for us from the wrath of God that we deserved. Can you imagine several persons spitting on you? Listen, most people would have, would have cause and fight if someone much less spit upon me one time, much less for somebody if I repeatedly spit upon me. Listen, in Jamaica, you can't even brush a man's clocks, much less for God spit upon a man. No, sir. They, <laughs> you know, as I think about this, Mr. Boy, them people are really unaware of Jesus, you know. You know, Jesus, all Jesus needed to do is just like done them. And them done them. <laughs> as simple as that, like, be gone. That's it. And everyone would be just gone with just a single word. Anyway, they led him away to be crucified. The NET notes, crucifixion was the cruelest form of punishment practiced by the Romans. Roman citizens would normally not undergo it. It was reserved for the worst crimes like treason and evasion of due process in a capital case. Um, the Roman historian Cicero called it a cruel and disgusting Penalty. I think, I think Josephus had said it was the worst of worst. Um, anyway, some thoughts and observations. You know, we shouldn't be surprised if we are acquainted with, um, let me say so, we shouldn't be surprised if people we are acquainted with change from encouraging from being encouraging to being adversarial because of a certain stance that we take for Jesus. Remember at the beginning of the week, um, the crowd there in Jerusalem, they were celebrating the Messiah. This was the beginning of the week, you know. And then by Friday, what am I shout out? Crucify him. I want you guys to think about that. Uh, also, have you ever seriously considered um, the suffering that we are supposed to experience as uh, believers for God's glory. You know, for example, when you're trying to be gentle and patient with your kids and they take it for granted, or your boss, or your colleagues. You know, altogether, I hope you saw today that King Jesus suffered as a substitute and sacrifice for our sin in order to save us. You know, for my conclusion, I'd like to read um, Horatius Bonar, a 19th century Scottish pastor who wrote a poem about this event that helps us to meditate on our great salvation. So I'll read it for you. I want you guys to listen here. I see the crowd in Pilate's hall their furious cries I hear, their shouts of crucify appall, their curses fill mine ear. And of that shouting multitude, I feel that I am one. And in the din of voices rude, I recognize my own. I see the scourgers rend the flesh of God's beloved Son. 
And as they smite, I feel afresh that I of them am one. Around the cross, the throng I see, the mock, the sufferers groan. Yet still my voice, it seems to be as if I mocked alone. Twist I that shed that sacred blood. I nailed him to the tree. I crucified the Christ of God. I join the mockery. Yet not the less that blood avails to cleanse me from my sin. And not the less that cross prevails to give me peace within. Let's pray. You have just listened to a message by Sheldon Campbell, a pastor at Grace Family Church in St. Catherine, Jamaica. To learn more about Grace Family Church, visit gracefam.church.